from my side. It's uh, great for me to be able to preach again and uh, to minister tonight at our evening service. Those of you who are visiting us, my name is Jonathan, and uh, we're busy with a series called Undignified. And we've been now doing this series, this is the third week that we're speaking into this theme of Undignified, and the heart behind this sermon series is we want to live a life of undignified worship in response to God. In these couple of weeks, we're looking at what does it mean to worship God, what's different expressions of God, but ultimately we want to live a lifestyle of undignified worship unto God, a response to God. And the way we're doing this, we're looking at the life of David. We're looking at, at King David, who wrote majority of the Psalms, who had this lifestyle of worshiping God, and looking at what he did and why he did it, and how does it apply to our lives. Now, if you've been here the previous two weeks, Nettie and Inc. did a fantastic job just laying the foundation on worship and different expressions of worship. And tonight we're going to continue with this theme and we're going to speak into something specifically that I believe is crucial for living a life of worship. Not just expressions of worship when we gather as a church like we're at now, but a lifestyle of worship. In fact, I so strongly believe in this principle that I believe this is a principle not just to worship well, but to live well. And to do this, we're going to look at a specific piece of Scripture found in 2 Samuel 15. If you have your Bible here, please, you can turn and read with me in 2 Samuel 15. As we're turning to that passage, I'm going to pray for us. As Lord, as, um, as always, we are humbled by your word. Lord, we don't want to take your word lightly. We don't want to become familiar with your word and your spirit. And therefore, Lord, as we read your word tonight... As we study your word and as we preach into this, Lord, I pray that you would guide our understanding and my words in such a way that you will bring truth to our lives. I pray for your word to be alive and active. I pray that your word would come and penetrate and cut our hearts, not just for the sake of cutting our hearts, Lord, but may you, by your spirit and your word, come and transform our souls, our minds, our hearts in such a way back into the image of who you created us to be. Lord, may you transform us to be men and women of faith, men and women that live a life that is worthy of your praise. Because, Lord, even when we study your word, it's not for our sake, Lord, but it's for your kingdom. And therefore, Lord, I pray, may you guide us and may you be honored through the way that we study your word. Amen. Okay, we're going to read together. Before we're going to read together, there's an important announcement. There's a car. The car's lights are on. Toyota Carrella. 
white one. It's here in the corner. It's HV98YTGP. I know, I memorized that. So if it is you, we don't know if it's on the back, the people outside, or if it, that is your car, please go and put your lights off. If it's your car and you feel awkward to stand up now, we can have a moment where everybody stands and you can sneak out. <laughs> if not, prayer is a powerful thing. Just pray for the battery. Okay. Second Samuel 15, we're going to read together from verse 7. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living in Geshur in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. Now to give you a little bit of background to what's happening here, those of you who might not be familiar with um, this biblical story, Absalom is the son of King David. And Absalom didn't always live in Jerusalem. There was a certain period in time that he wasn't in Jerusalem. And that's why he's referring back to, if God would take me back. Now, why wasn't he living in Jerusalem? He had a sister it's called, um, whose name was Tamar. But he also had a half-brother. Uh, a brother that's also David's son, but with a different um, wife, different mother. And this brother's name was Amnon. Amnon desired um, Tamar. Wouldn't say he loved her, if you go and read the story. He, he, he desired her. And eventually one day he tricked her, he tricked David in such a way that he lured her into his um, place where he was staying, and then he forced himself onto her and he slept with her. Now, Absalom was absolutely beyond mad at what this Amnon half-brother of him did towards the mark. And Absalom decided to take matters into his own hands, and he took revenge, and he killed Amnon. And out of fear of what might happen to his life, he fled Jerusalem. If you think your family is complicated. <laughs> this is David's two sons. Absalom killed one of David's sons, his half-brother, because his half-brother slept with his sister. It's a sad account. And then he flees Jerusalem. And for three years, he's not, um, he's not staying in Jerusalem. And after three years, David sends for his son Absalom and David brings him back to Jerusalem. He is brought back to Jerusalem by King David. And now, four years have passed since he's returned to Jerusalem. Now, in these four years, Absalom has been busy. He's been making a name for himself. He's grown in strength and grown in popularity. He was a very charismatic leader. He had favor with people. And, and he just grew in this popularity. And he basically did it in three ways. One, he exalted himself. When people would come for advice, he would tell them, if I were king, this and this is what I would do. So he exalted himself. He made promises to people. If I would, keep, would become king, this is what will happen to you. This is how I will act. And thirdly, he discredited his father's ability to lead. He publicly criticized King David. For his leadership. 
And for the last four years, he's just grown in strength and popularity. And now he's come to his father and he says to his father, I made a vow while I was not in Jerusalem that if God were to bring me back to Jerusalem, that I would bring him a thanks offering, a worship, a thanks worship unto God. Would you allow me to go back to Hebron to do this worship moment? That's what's happening here. So let's continue to read. Verse 9. The king said to him, go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messages throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sounds of trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. So he's sending out messengers and he says, when you hear the trumpets being blown in Hebron, you should declare Absalom has been anointed as king. 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, so he's actually worshiping God. He also sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite. And I said it in the morning service, but I'm so proud of myself for getting that name correctly. <laughs> Thank you. Deeply appreciate it. <laughs> David's counselor to come to Gilead, his hometown. So he calls for this counselor of David because he wants the people to believe that even the counselor is siding with him. And so the conspiracy gained strength. And Absalom's following kept on increasing. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. You. In spite of the grace and mercy that David, his father, has shown Absalom, Absalom decides, I've had enough. I've had enough. This is my time. I am better than King David. I'm better than my father. I deserve more than our father. And he just takes his future into his own control. And he decides, now's the time to take over the kingdom of God the kingdom of Israel. And he organizes a coup. And he's busy stealing the kingdom from his father. He's a young man. Ambitious. His life lies ahead of him. He's probably in the prime of his life. And he's going to take control. That what is rightfully is. Because he's the heir to the throne. He's going to take control. Because he deserves better. And he is better. He deserves more. And he uses the pretense of worship to do this. He tells his dad, I'm going to worship God and I'm going to bring God um, thanks that he returned it. So he uses worship as a pretense for his own personal gain. His worship is all about himself. His worship is a smokescreen to get that what he desires. If you were David, 
How would you react to this? For a moment, try to think as if you're King David. This is to the latter part of David's life. He's gone through many trials, many tribulations. He's faced many challenges to become king. But this is a promise that God gave over his life. As a young man, God said, I'm anointing you as king. And finally, he's leading. Finally, he's, he's almost, in a sense, living out his calling. That's what God has called him to. And now your son, the one that you've showed mercy and grace, is pursuing you. He's not just pursuing you. He's stealing the kingdom from you. And there's an imminent fear for your life. If you were David, how would you react? I'm pretty sure none of us here tonight knows how it feels to lose a kingdom. If you do, love to speak to you afterwards. But none of us really knows how it feels to lose a kingdom. None of us sits here tonight and fears for our lives. But all of us, have been hurt and disappointed by people. All of us have gone through moments where we feel or felt betrayed by people. All of us have gone through moments where we, we feel and we faced um, moments of insecurity and anxiety. All of us have gone through moments where we faced injustice in some form or another, we went, this is not fair. This is not right. What is happening here is not right. We faced moments of injustice. And now, however that might look, all of us have had to wrestle with this reality of how other people's decisions impacts our lives. Have you been in a situation before because, because someone else made a decision, it has an immediate effect on your life and there's nothing that you can do about it. You've had to wrestle through those moments. How other people's sin directly impacts your life. I believe all of us here have faced moments where the circumstances where you're facing just feels completely beyond your measure of control where you felt hopeless. This is probably what David is experiencing. Moments of hurt, betrayal, injustice. So the question is, how do you respond in those moments? What does your worship look like in those moments when life's not fair? When you are hurt, disappointed, and when your future is very uncertain. How does worship then look? How could David have responded? If you were David, what would you do in this moment? Be honest, I'd probably be angry. There's a part of me, I'm reading this story and I'm thinking, man, this is not right. But how could David have responded? Well, one, he could fight back. Let's be honest. 
He could take control of this situation. He can make plans and form strategies. He was a veteran. He has had many victories in battle. It would be easy for him to formulate a strategy and go to war with his son. And take control of the situation. Fight back. He could have trusted his own ability and his own military strength. Because let's be honest, there's still people in Israel, in Jerusalem, who still follows David. He still has some form of popularity amongst the people. He could have probably taken control and fought back. He could stand on his rights as king. And he can fight for what's rightfully is. But if he were to do this, then he would have been just like Absalom. Trusting himself. Trusting his own will, his own understanding, his own strategy. Believing, I am better and I deserve better. There's moments where we have to fight back, but God didn't command David to fight back. And if he were to fight back in this moment, he would be just like Absalom, relying on his own strength, taking his future into his own hands. How would you respond? David could have rebelled. Could have become angry at God. If he's not angry at Absalom, he could have become angry at God. Why is God allowing this? Where is God? He could have started questioning God's character. Is God not good? Does God not care? How can God promise one thing and then allow this? Where is God? He could have questioned the character and nature of God. Become angry at God. And ultimately could have turned away from God. His disappointment and hurt could have made him turn away from God. And could have lost his faith and all hope. Because let's be honest, many people turn away from God when we go through disappointments and hurt. How do you respond in times of uncertainty? Injustice and hurt. Could have fought back. Could have rebelled. But if he rebelled yet again, he would have been just like Absalom, where everything is about him. Where even his worship unto God, his very relationship with God, is centered behind what is in it for me. How do you respond? How do you respond to God in these situations that's unfair, hurtful, and uncertain? David didn't fight back. He didn't rebel. He did something else. We can read verse 23. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on toward the wilderness. Zadok, he was the priest at that stage, was there too. And all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abathur offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the Ark of God back into the city. 
if I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. In verse 30, this is after the Ark, is, Ark of the Covenant is taken back. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. What a surprise. David doesn't fight back, he doesn't rebel, he does something else. Now if you were here the previous two weeks, you would hear the Ark of the Covenant quite a lot. And you would know from our previous two weeks that there was something significant about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. Now don't miss what's happening here. The presence of God is with David, not Absalom. And if you think back over the last two weeks, what is the significance of the Ark of the Covenant, then you can imagine in this moment the people traveling with David, the Ark of the Covenant is with them. Surely David can use the presence of God in this situation. How many times do you go through uncertainty and anxiety and you go, I just wish I could experience the presence of God. The presence of God is with David and the people that's traveling with him. And instead of using it to his own advantage, instead of using it as a strategy against Absalom, he does the unexpected. He sends it back into the city. Back to the people of God. Why? Why? I believe there's many reasons why David do, does this. But one of them is David's response to this situation that is unfair, hurtful, and uncertain is one of trust. He doesn't fight back, he doesn't rebel, he trusts. He resists the urge to fight back. He fights the temptation to rebel against God and question God's nature and character. And, and he sends back the Ark of the Covenant as a response as to his trust in the sovereign will and character of God. And he says, I am ready. What a powerful statement. I am ready. Let God do to me whatever seems good to him. I trust him. I trust him. I trust his sovereign will, his sovereign nature. Let God decide what is good. I am ready. See, at the heart of what it means to worship God is to trust Him. You cannot worship God if you don't trust Him. At the very heart of what it means to, to worship God, to have a lifestyle of worship, is to trust Him. Because when we trust God, we declare, you are God and I am not. Isn't that what worship is? Isn't worship all about God and not about us? 
Isn't worship about there's someone bigger, greater than me? And therefore, you cannot worship God if you don't trust Him. Because when you say, it's about you, it's not about me, you say, I trust you, you are God. I trust your sovereign will. I trust your sovereign character. I trust your sovereign ability. I trust your sovereign nature. It's about you. It's not about me. The heart of worship is rooted in trust. We cannot worship God if we don't trust Him. David's trust in this moment is reflected in Psalm 3. Psalm 3 says the following. It's a psalm of David when he fled from his son, Absalom. This is what this psalm is about. It's this moment that we just read. This is David's prayer towards God. This is the expression of his trust towards God when he fled from Absalom. It says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head, I I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake up because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. What a beautiful psalm. Notice how in the psalm, David describes his realities and what he believes. He starts off with his realities. Many are rising up against me. This is true. They're pursuing them. This is a situation that seems completely out of his control. He needs to um, flee for his life. There's many that wants Absalom to succeed. This is a reality. He cannot ignore it. He and all the people that's walking with him, they're not busy with a long-term camping experience. This is the reality. Many are saying... God will not deliver him. If you read 2 Samuel 16, there's a person that comes along, David, and he mocks David. And he says, you are now facing the circumstances and the results of your sin. This is God dealing with you. You are done. God will not save you. Have you noticed when you go through uncertainty, moments of anxiety that feels unfair, that there's always voices? There's always voices that makes us question God's character. Voices that question God's will. Where's God? Why is God allowing this? Does God really care about you? You deserve this. Voices that wants to confuse us. Makes us question God. And voices that brings fear. These are the realities that David's facing. But God. But God. But you. Two powerful words. But you, Lord. This is where it changed. This is my circumstances. This is my realities. But you, 
Lord or a shield around me. In this moment, David's not necessarily experiencing God being a shield. He's fleeing from his life. But David reflects back over his life and he can testify, you have always been a shield around me. Therefore, in this moment, I believe that what I know and I've experienced before. You are a shield around me. You are the one that lifts my head. The one that restores me. You are the one that answers me. You are the one that I've come to know that I can lie down and sleep and I wake again. Think about this. This is David saying, I've recognized how powerless I am. I don't have, even have the ability to keep myself alive. I go to bed and you're the one that wakes me. You are the one that sustains me. It's completely out of my control. Therefore, I will not fear. It's because of you. It's because of what you've already done. It's because of what I know and experience about you. I will not fear. See, trust in God is not to ignore your circumstances and to hope for the best. I feel that many Christians live this way. We ignore circumstances. You'll speak to them, how is how's it going in your life? Ah, oh, blessed by the best. <laughs> Always good. And we ignore realities and we hope for the best. And there's nothing wrong with hope. But that's not trust. Trust in God is recognizing our realities. And in spite of them, holding on to what we believe about it. That's trust. Even though I see this, even though I experience this, even though what's happening with you is unfair, it is not right, it is hurtful, but God. This is the reality. But you are my shield. I believe this. I might not feel it in this moment. In this moment, it might be painful. It might feel unfair, but you are my shield. And I know you're protecting me more against many more things than what I can imagine. You are the one that lifts my head. You're the one that restores me. I don't have to fight for justice. I don't have to take things into my own hands. You're the one. I don't have to defend myself. Because you'll lift my head. You are the one that sustains me. Who answers me. And therefore I will not fear. That's what it means to trust God. And every time that we put our trust in God, we worship Him. Because we're saying, there's someone greater than me. It's a lifestyle of worship. But I don't know about you, but I've seen in my life that trusting God in moments that's uncertain and fearful Hurtful is often very easier said than done. It's easy in moments like this. It's easy when there's a worship song that plays that says, nothing is impossible. My God's going to move mountains. I go, yes, Lord, I trust you. And then Monday comes. Fridays are usually the worst. Trusting God is often easier said than done. 
And it's not because God is not trustworthy. It's not because God is not faithful that we struggle to trust Him. It's not that God is not able or not powerful enough that we cannot trust Him. It's not that God does not care or that God is apathetic towards our circumstances that we cannot trust Him. Often we struggle to trust God because if we're really honest with ourselves, we are more like Absalom than what we'd like to believe. And more often than not, it's easier for us to trust ourselves. More often than not, our hearts are deceived into taking control, trying to control all the circumstances and outcomes. More often than not, our hearts think more highly of ourselves than it ought to. More often than not, we think we know best. More often than not, we, we just follow our own will and our own understanding and our own strategy instead of really seeking God. May, more often than not, I tend to focus on what I think I deserve. And unfortunately, more often than not, my heart is self-centered. It's all about me. And as long as this is the inclination of our hearts, we will struggle to fully trust God. And ultimately, wholeheartedly worship Him in every area of our lives. We'll have moments of trust. But will not wholeheartedly worship Him. Because our hearts are inclined to ourselves. See, we worship what we put our trust in. So the ultimate question tonight is, what are you trusting? What are you trusting? Because that's what you're worshiping. How do we move beyond the songs that we sing to a lifestyle of worship? It's to trust God beyond the songs. It's to trust God in every area of our lives. So what are you trusting? See, there was another prayer prayed on the mountain of Olives. You see how David and his, and his group of people have made this worship and they're traveling around the mountain of Olives and David is just surrendering and trusting onto God. But there was another prayer, significant prayer on the Mount of Olives. Luke 22, verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. On reaching this place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. I pray that we as a church will not fall into the temptation to take control of our lives. I pray that we will not fall into the temptation to rebel against God and question his nature and his will. I pray that we'll not fall into the temptation that this life is about us. 
pray that you do not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And on the mountain of Olives, Jesus had an unanswered prayer. Evening before he would be captured and crucified, he asked God, if it's your will, take this away from me. But not my will, your will be done. Unanswered prayer. Jesus died. And in Jesus we see absolute trust in the sovereign will and character of God. Jesus is the only one willing to really trust God and completely submit to his will. More than what any one of us could ever have done. And because of Jesus' trust, we can have confidence in our moments of uncertainty. Because he completely surrendered to God. He completely trusts God. He wholeheartedly worshiped God. And because of what he did, we can have confidence in God. We can have confidence in our moments of uncertainty. So when we fail to trust God wholeheartedly, we don't have to try harder. We don't have to put on our favorite worship songs to conjure up trust in our hearts. When we have the urge, the temptation to take control and fight for what's rightfully ours, we turn to Jesus. We say, God, help me. Change my heart. I trust your complete work on the cross. When we have the urge and temptation to question God's will and nature, we turn to Jesus. God, would you change my heart? Because on the cross is all the answers to the questions that we're facing. Does God care? Yes. When I look at the cross, do I see that God loves me? Yes. Do I see that God has a plan for our lives? Yes. Do I see that God is powerful and nothing is impossible for Him? Yes. Do I see that God is sovereign? Yes. So Lord, help me to trust your complete work. Change my heart. But Lord, my trust is in what you've already done. Not in my great faith, not in my great ability. I turn to the cross and I say, because of what you've done, I can have moments in my storm where I turn to you and I say, but God, you are the shield around me. Because that what Jesus deserved, we receive. Not from our good works, not from our great faith, but because of Jesus, completely trusting God. And even when I'm wavering in my faith, I can confidently thank God. Thank you, Lord, that you are the shield around me. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who lifts up my head. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one that answers prayers. That you are the one that's in control. And thank you, Lord, that you are the one that sustains my life. I trust you. I trust that what Jesus did was enough. Would you forgive my unbelief? 
as I trust you. Would you change my life? Because I will not fear. I am ready. May you decide what is good. This is how we worship God. Not just in the songs that we sing, but in the way that we live. Trusting the complete work of Jesus in every area of our lives. So if there's an area where I recognize I'm not worshiping God, I'm trusting something else. I go, God, would you forgive me? Would you help me? Choose to trust you. How's your worship? How's your trust? Because the foundation of worship is a trust in God. Let's pray. Before I pray for us this evening, I want us to conclude by asking God if there's an area of your life where you're not trusting Him. Ask God, is there an area of my life where I'm not worshiping you because I'm not trusting you? And I'm going to give us just a couple of moments as we do this prayer. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we turn to you tonight, Lord, I pray that you would grace us with insight and wisdom and that you would reveal to us an area where we're not completely trusting you and not wholeheartedly worshiping you. Would you come and reveal those areas to us, Lord? And Lord, as you're doing this, as you're bringing it into the light, Lord, we want to respond by faith and we want to say, Lord, we're sorry that we've in some way taken control over these areas and in some way have made it all about us, in some way believed that, questioned your nature and your will. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us. Pray that you would come and change our our thoughts and our hearts in this area of our lives. And Lord, you would help us to surrender. But our, com- our trust is in your complete work, Jesus. Would you help us? And this evening, if you believe God is calling you to trust Him in a certain area, I want us to do something It's a prophetic response. Because we'll face moments where we're not trusting God. And in those moments, we need to learn how to turn to God and say, God, would you forgive me and help me to trust you? Help me to believe, regardless of my circumstances. So this evening, if you believe God is pointing out an area in your life that He's calling you to worship Him in, to trust Him, I want to call you to stand. I want to ask you to take a step of faith, saying, God, this is me standing in faith, believing that what you've done, Lord Jesus, is enough. 
And I don't want to fear anymore. I don't want to hold on to this. I don't want to take control. I'm surrendering, Lord, knowing that it's you that sustains. Knowing that it's you that lifts up my head. And as you're standing, would you just open your hands as a moment of surrendering to God and saying, God, I'm giving it over. I'm not holding back. I'm not fighting for this. I'm not rebelling, Lord. But I'm trusting you. I'm ready. May you choose what is right. Holy Spirit, I pray as we do this that you would come and fill our hearts with your peace. Make us aware of your presence, Lord. Restore in us the joy of our salvation, Lord. May you strengthen our hearts. May you help us see faith rise up in our hearts. And may you empower us to trust and worship you well. Because, Lord, as we're handing these things over tonight, Lord, we want to declare by faith that we believe that what you've done is enough, Lord. We believe that in this moment you're doing something in our spirit. You're changing something in our hearts in such a way that we'll be able to trust you and worship you well. Because, Lord, it's about you. It's not about us. And if you're standing, would you pray this prayer with me? Thank you, my God, that you are a shield around me, that you are the one that lifts my head high, You are the one who answers me. You are the Lord that sustains me. And I will not fear. May your kingdom come and your will be done. We pray and ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's worship God together. Everyone that joins us at the front, you are more than welcome to come again. (laughs) Let's worship God together. Come to the front, guys. Enter His presence with thanksgiving and praise. We'll wait for you. Come, come to the front. Come, guys, come. There's a lot of space here at the front. Setting sun to the setting sun. 
Thank you, family. So our last song is a declaration song. So uh, we're not done yet. Uh, we did prepare extra songs. So if you guys want to stay, you're more than welcome to stay. But you can join us in singing and proclaiming His goodness. Um, in this last song, in terms of declaring it over our lives, who and what it is, He still sits on the throne.
after me it was on one of Jonathan's slides but it's just a summary of that last part but I want you to say it after me the Lord is a shield around me the one who lifts my head high the one who answers me I lie down and sleep I wake again because the Lord sustains me I will not fear. I will not fear. Father, thank you. You don't have to repeat now. Thank you that we can declare that you're a shield around us and that we do not have to fear, Lord. Take us back to the heart of worship where we, we worship because it's all about you, Lord. And not just singing, worshiping you through every single part of our lives. And as Jonathan said, Lord, help us to trust your complete work on the cross. Teach us to stop taking control. Thank you that you've already done that for us. You've already sent your one and only son to die on the cross for us. You are so worthy of our praise, Lord. And I pray tonight in Jesus' name that we will ask ourselves, why do we worship you? Is it because of everything you do for us? And those are great things, Lord. But sometimes we need to go back to, we worship you because you are so worthy of it. Even if from this point forward, there's nothing else you do for us, Lord. Because Jesus dying on the cross is supposed to be enough for us. 
Father, I pray for every single person here tonight. May we walk into the rest of our lives, not just this week, to into the rest of our lives with this heart of worship. Shouting hallelujah. Seeing the storm around us, still shouting it. Declaring it. Because praising you is not based on our circumstances, Father. And I'm sorry that most of the times that is how we worship you. I pray that you will change that, Lord. That we will be a generation that worships you no matter what. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, band.